and happy Mother's Day. Today I'm going to deviate from our study on the Sermon on, or excuse me, not Sermon on the Mount, but the Olivet Discourse. Uh, I joked with the guys that being trained by Baptists, I could make just about any text fit any application, you know, but uh, I don't think I'm going to draw application from the Olivet Discourse for Mother's Day this morning. Uh, instead, I want to go to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, so if you turn there with me. As Steve mentioned, there are any number of important mothers we could consider in the Bible. Uh, this morning I want to consider our common mother. You know, everybody alive today can trace our lineage back through two women. Back through Noah's wife and then back to Eve. In fact, Eve's name means something like life giver. Uh, And we are all brothers and sisters under the motherhood of Eve. And yet, as we see Eve in Genesis 2, and especially in Genesis 3, she's best known for her failure, as is the first man. Uh, But we're going to see that failure is not the final word as we read this text. Uh, We're going to look at this text and see both the mess that sin makes, but also the hope that God gives. Let's read About this, I'll start in chapter 2, verse 15, and read down through the end of chapter 3. Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made them lo- themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, gar- in, the, um, in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, you are our maker, and you are our redeemer. You have sent your son for us to reclaim us to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live today as you have made us and live according to how you are remaking us in your son, Jesus. I pray that as we look into this text, that you would help our hearts, that you would strengthen us, and you would give us hope in yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look through this, uh, it's a Mother's Day sermon, and yet I think, and I know, the truths here are applicable for all of us. What I want to see in this text, which is here, uh, is that there is gospel hope in the midst of human failure. We see this throughout the Bible, really. There is gospel hope in the midst of human failure. We'll see that sin brings mess, God gives hope, and we'll see hope for mothers. We open in the book of Genesis with the account here of God creating the world and everything that exists. God is the one who made everything that we can taste or touch or smell or hear or see. He made it all. And I'm sure he made things that uh, go beyond those categories of our five senses. We see God in his creative activity uh, throughout these first few chapters of Genesis. And through that, as Scott mentioned, we see this regular restatement of the goodness of what God has made. Behold, it is good. It is good. It is good. Verse 31, 
says of chapter 1, at the end of day 6, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was morning and evening, uh, the sixth day. God's creation is saturated with his goodness. The all-creative God and the all-powerful God set his hand to making a world. And when he did that, he put so much goodness as a reflection of his goodness into it. And God delights in his handiwork. And at the pinnacle of his creation, God created man and woman in his image. And God gives this newly minted couple dominion over this world. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply in it. And as we read, God put them in the Garden of Eden. It's hard to get our minds around the, the unbridled opportunity that lay before Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, we get so quickly to Genesis chapter 3 because it comes so quickly. But there's so much potential that lay before Adam and Eve here. I mean, think about it. The creation is working with them, not against them. There was no disunity in their relationship that would have slowed down the progress of their day. Food was easy, and it was good. The potential for new endeavors and projects were nearly limitless. And a productive life didn't have to be cut short by an untimely death. And above all of those things, they had an open and easy and free relationship with the Lord. There wasn't the effects of sin to hinder their relationship with the Lord. They had all of these good things. All of it was before them. There was so much good that lay ahead of them. But of course, we do know how it unfolds. God gives them one prohibition, and they break it. That's the one point at which the enemy attacks is the prohibition that God gives. Satan, in the form of a serpent, enters into an enticing conversation with Eve. Notice the way that he works. Uh, first, he questions a distorted view of God's word. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, of course, God hadn't forbidden Adam and Eve to eat any tree. Uh, Eve responds in good faith to the serpent's question. Um, perhaps she added a prohibition about not touching the tree. Uh, in verse 4, though, Satan then turns to directly contradict God's word. He says, you will not surely die. Uh, what started as a seemingly innocuous question has turned into a direct assault on God's truthfulness. But it's not just God's truthfulness that's under attack. The serpent then turns to attack God's goodness. Uh, in verse 5, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan tells Eve that God has lied to her. And in fact, he goes on to say, He's lied to you because there is something better than you're currently experiencing that he is keeping back from you. Now I want to stop for a moment here and just say that this is the kind of tactic that Satan uses all day long. He attacks a distorted understanding of the Bible. He turns and he attacks a clear understanding of the Bible. And then he turns and he attacks the very character of God. Uh, sometimes he makes these moves in the course of a minute in people's hearts as he's enticing people. And other times he drags the argument out over the course of weeks and months. Uh, sometimes he uses hard and prolonged areas of pain in our lives 
to whisper to us that God is not good. God does not care. God's not able to bless you. Oh, maybe he is able to bless you, but he is targeting you to do you harm. Uh, He's sticking it to you. Uh, That's the kind of lies that Satan carries out against God all the time. Uh, It's a trap that Satan has used with great effectiveness over the years. Now, I'm no great fisherman, but I do know how to catch a bluegill. It's pretty simple. You take a hook, you take a worm, you put those two together, you throw it out in the water, and you wait. Fish bites hook, you reel it in, and you get a fish. Lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, It's not hard. It's easy, it's fun, in fact, it's almost predictable. You figure out how it works, and then you work it. And that is how bluegill fishing works. Uh, And it's something similar to what Satan does to unsuspecting human beings every day. He has learned that questioning God's word, then denying it, then denying God's good intention, is a surefire way to make a fish fry of people's faith. Don't let him do it. In your heart and in your life, especially in those hard and painful areas, keep alert for the lies of Satan. Hold firm in truth to God's word when he attacks it. We see in our story here that Eve hears the lies of Satan and she receives them. She sees the fruit that God has forbade his people to eat and she sees that it is edible. She perceives that it's edible. In fact, it looks good. It's pretty. It's appealing to the eye. And she understands that if she eats it, she's going to gain something. She understands that it it has a good purpose in her mind at that moment to taking it in. And it does gain her something, but nothing good. She is deceived. She's tempted. And then she gives herself over to it all. She shares with her husband who joins right in. We see here that the first couple dive into sin. And in that, they plunge all of humanity into sin. Sin brings mess. We should never fool ourselves into thinking that sin is worth it. In the moment of temptation, it looks appealing. It looks like perhaps there's some value to it. We should never deceive ourselves in that way. They bite the hook and they entrap all of us along with them. Their sin brings death into this world. And it's not just death that gets brought into the world at this moment. Sin messes everything up. After they eat, they experience shame in being naked and they run and hide. Their relationship with God is forever changed at that moment. Their relationship with each other becomes radically impacted by their sin. When they're confronted by God, Adam points to Eve. He blames Eve. and Then Eve turns and she blames the serpent. Already there is disunity in their marriage. Further, we see that Eve's desire will be contrary to her husband, and he will rule over her. Neither of those are positive statements. Childbirth is going to be hard. Bringing children into this world will be difficult. Work is also going to be cursed. Even more, Eve's son Cain will rise up and kill her son Abel. Now, I can't imagine how Eve could have dealt with such a tragedy like that. Sin introduces so much pain and loss and mess into God's good creation. To be honest, it's downright depressing when you think about it. In the face of all this, 
How could humanity carry on? What is even the point when you look at all the dark side of it? In the midst of this catastrophically bad day, God gives hope to humanity. He gives hope to his people even as he sends them out of Eden. Let's, we've seen now that sin does bring mess, but let's see how God gives hope here. There are two key points of hope in our passage. In verse 15, God promises a Savior, and in verse 21, he covers them. Let's consider the promised Savior here. God, uh, he, even as he's cursing the serpent, he predicts the destruction of the serpent. He says that he will put enmity between the woman and the serpent, and between her offspring and his offspring. This is in verse 15 of chapter 3. Now, many have recognized in this prediction the first promise of the gospel. Uh, The statement has been called the Proto-Evangelion, the the first gospel. Uh, And it's here, God promises that the head of the serpent will be crushed by the offspring from the woman. The serpent will crush his heel. We'll see in turn. God is going to deal with the serpent through an offspring of Eve, and that that offspring is also going to be struck. As it turns out, God will deal with Satan through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We see at the cross the bruising of our Savior's heel and the bruising of Satan's head. Jesus will be killed on the cross. He's going to be a substitute before God to take away our punishment that our sins deserve. And through his obedience, he will address the problem of the disobedience of this first couple. You see in the cross, Satan inspired Judas to betray Jesus, and Jesus was killed. Yet, Jesus rose again. So any apparent victory that Satan has is wiped out by the glory of the resurrection. It may seem like Satan had won in Jesus being crucified, but what appeared to be victory became his undoing. What was a temporary striking of the sun became a mortal wound for the serpent. So there is hope in this. We see hope in a promise that even though this first couple has plunged into sin and there are consequences, God speaks hope into these very moments. We see next that there's also hope in that their shame is covered. There's a hope in that of sins being covered. God shows us not by a statement here, but by an act. God takes the skins, the hides of animals, and he covers Adam and Eve's nakedness. Now, previously Adam and Eve had been naked and unashamed. Now they experience a new kind of self-consciousness and shame in their exposure. Uh, They feel that they need to be covered. Uh, Their problem really isn't primarily external, but internal. Their deepest shame is actually an issue of their heart and sin. Uh, They need covering for more than just their bodies. Uh, We see in our text as well that they do try to cover themselves. They sew fig leaves together, uh, but it's not adequate. Uh, God makes them a covering that will last. The world outside the garden is going to be a harsh place. They're going to need a lot more than leaves to cover them up. They're going to need something sturdy. As the years have gone on, we've figured out how to make clothes that are suitable for every occasion. Uh, but we have never been able to manufacture clothes for our deepest needs. Uh, there's no covering for that that we've ever been able to make. Uh, 
as much as we try it, anything that we try to do to cover up our spiritual shame and our sin will fail. It will not hold up to the judgment. Some animal had to give its life for Adam and Eve to have these clothes. Uh, And we see in that, I think, even another pointer forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who would give himself so that our shame would be covered. At the cross, he deals with our sin decisively, and then he covers it. Uh, He throws it, and and one of the Psalms says that uh, our sin is taken away as far as the east is from the west. The Lord Jesus Christ covers us, and we are not clothed anymore in our shame and our sin, but when we trust in the Lord, we are covered by his righteousness. We are clothed with adequate clothes to stand before the very judgment of God. When we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we can stand before God in his presence again without fear. We don't have to run and hide. We don't have to call for the mountains to fall on us before the wrath of the Lamb. We can stand before God because of what he's done. There's another pointer of hope uh, right here in our passage. You really have to think about the fact that all of these things take place, these pointers of hope, they're given right in the midst of God's first confrontation with its couple and their sin. Uh, you know, God, you might have thought God give them the cold shoulder for a couple centuries and then maybe come back and revisit the conversation some future point. He doesn't do that. In, in the very moment of their rebellion and in this confrontation, he gives them words of hope. I want to apply this now specifically for mothers. I think there's a couple of points here that we can see for mothers and in your task uh, where I think there is hope for mothers here. Certainly hope for all of us. Uh, one of the key areas of hope from this passage is that uh, as the Lord is addressing this need and this challenge, he points them away from themselves. Uh, it's so tempting to look to ourselves for our needs for our salvation, for anything. Uh, The Lord is pointing this first couple away from themselves. I want to say to mothers, uh, you really can't hope in your own ability, your own wisdom, or your own methods of parenting. If your hope is ultimately in yourself, then you'll be tempted to pride in your successes and tempted to dejection when things are going poorly. The good news is, is that your hope doesn't ride on your ability to be the perfect mother. Your hope rides on God who is perfect. This passage in all of Scripture points us away from ourselves. It's so tempting to look at the work of our hands and measure that. Uh, We have no idea what God can do through our efforts. Uh, We want to look to Him and look to Him. Yes, we do want to do our best to put our our uh, example before our children and to point them to the Lord. That's important. Uh, But we have to look to the Lord. Uh, It is a scary thought when you think about the fact that you can't save your children any more than you were able to save yourself. But we can point our children to the Lord and you can pray. Uh, We must pray for our children. I want to encourage as well parents of adult children Uh, No, there are are some here even that are currently not walking with the Lord. I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord. I want to encourage you to go to him in prayer regularly. He is able to do things that you are not. 
He is able to speak things into moments when you are nowhere near your kids. And so continue to pray to the Lord that he would work. Do not lose heart. I want to say there's another area of hope here for us as we think about our lives and especially for mothers. Uh, say, it, say it again here. The Lord speaks these words of hope in the middle of the mess that sin makes. And I want to say that there is hope for you in the middle of any mess you have right now. Uh, you might have had a very solid home growing up. Or your home might have been filled with drama. Uh, you might have known firsthand the ugly mess that sin makes. Uh, you might not have grown up with a godly mother as an example to look to. Your, your mom might not have been the one who shared the gospel with you when you were young. You might even recognize sin in your own life uh, and see the way that your sin nature might be working at contrary purposes to what you want to see in the lives of your children. Uh, you might find sin's mess in your own home. I want to encourage you that God speaks these words of hope in Genesis 3 in the midst of the fallout of human sin. All of this takes place. There, there's this initial confrontation and these words of hope together. Uh, in the middle of it, God speaks hope of salvation. So if you find yourself in the midst of the mess of sin, perhaps you're struggling with the effects of somebody else's sin against you, I want to encourage you to look to God. I want to encourage you to look up to him. Uh, you don't have to be good enough or have had the right upbringing to receive God's grace. That is the point of grace. He shows favor on those who don't deserve it. Now, of course, we do want to turn from any known sin, even as we put our hope in God and not in ourselves. Uh, but I want to encourage you, you don't have to have had everything right growing up uh, to have the Lord help you and bless you. We don't want to let... Uh, sin and shame deceive us into trying to clean ourselves up in our own strength and wisdom. Uh, there are so many things in parenting that are perplexing. What do you do? So many choices to make. Uh, you have to look to the Lord in that and ask for his guidance, and he will guide you. We have hope in the Lord who speaks hope in these moments. We've seen in Genesis 2 and 3 that sin brings all kind of wreckage into our lives. We've seen in the midst of sin's wreckage, God speaks words of hope. Brothers and sisters and mothers, God is our only hope. He is the one that we have to look to for our salvation, and he is the one we've got to look to as we want to be faithful stewards. He will help us. Look to him. I will invite the men to prepare for communion now and Elizabeth to come and play, and let's go to prayer together.